Mind Hood and Evil. We're your host. I'm Mike. That's Chris. What's up? Slim. What are we getting into today? Man, you already know what it is, man. Before we even start, I just want to go ahead and let everybody know that you should go ahead and follow Beyond Hood and Evil. If you ain't following Beyond Hood and Evil on the IG page, on the Spotify page, on the Apple Podcast page, you're doing yourself a disservice. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead and hit us up on Instagram at Beyond Hood and Evil. Make sure you follow the page and share the page with a friend. Am I saying that we're going to blow up your feed? No. <laughs> Am I saying that we're going to be posting content that you need to know, though? Yes. If you're listening to us right now on Spotify, make sure you hit that follow button and rate us. If you can't rate us, that just means you ain't listened to enough episodes. So make sure you double up, play a few, and then come back and rate us. If you're listening on Apple, make sure you hit subscribe and rate us. And if you're listening on neither of those platforms, do the same damn thing. All right, let's get into it. You already know what it is, Beyond Hood and Evil. And today for the Beyond of it, we're getting into something that I think is central to a lot of Black people who have become upwardly mobile and the story of when you make it out of the hood. We're talking about what? Survivor's remorse. It's something that I think we all go through, especially when you make it to a certain level of success, when you're coming from the trenches or the muds, like we used to say in 2015, 2018, like I come from the mud. <laughs> now everybody come from the trenches. Now everybody, you know what I'm saying? I'll beat the block. You beat the game, man. I beat the block. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. And it's something that I've been really present in my mind, especially when I think about, you know, where I'm at currently in my life or what I'm doing. It's like, man, sometimes I just look back and think, dang, man, I came a long way. So that's what we're getting into for today, man. So when, you, when people say they beat the block, is that like when you uh, hit like boss level in a video game and you, and you like beat the boss and you, you know, become the victor like Mario when he's trying to find like Princess Peach or some shit? Is that like beating the block or what is it? That might be in the worst joke. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's a question. Is it, is it an analogy? That was a crazy analogy. That Jane was, come on, bro. No, man. I you played know a lot they, of Mario growing up. I see. It sound like it. But the, the issue... <laughs> <laughs> Golly, bro. We beat the block, man. Like you walk up the street, you walk up and down the street, you do what you got to do, you handle your business. This man's talking about some beat the block like you became the boss. First of all, you're not a boss if you want a block. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. What you mean if, if you you can't be a boss if you're not on the block? There ain't no bosses out in the streets. You're a worker. But how, how do you beat the block, though? I just told you, walking up and down the street, beating the block up with your feet. You taking steps, you making moves. You oh, beat the block. Oh. Yeah, beat the block. Uh, so that's not about victory at all. That just means you're doing what you... You work. Uh, you're working. Okay. That's what, which, right. what I, which is inherently why I said you can't be a boss if you're on a block. Because uh, you're working. Fair enough. Bosses yeah, don't really so work. You, so you're not Mario anyway. You're a boss. But Chris, all right. So aside from that, this is a conversation that we... Uh, or a topic we introduced a few weeks back um, when we spoke to our ladies at Chicago Leadership Lab, um, which is a dope interview, bro. I, I was excited about that one. Um, but one of the core concepts that came up was you know, survivor's remorse. Right. You know, being able to get to a place in your life where you can experience relative success, you know, whatever we deem success as. But knowing that along the way, there are others with you, whether it's family, whether it's friends or, you know, whoever who aren't here with you and you experience a level of remorse. Like, should it really be me? And, and Chris, I have a hot take, man. Right. I don't experience that shit no more. Mm. Doesn't exist for me. And it happened in the last you know, three or four years now, you know, with COVID times, my years get mixed up, but there's a point in time in this podcast where I was, where I, was, where I mentioned that, like all the self-work that I've been doing mm. and the, the, the reflection and just thinking about decisions that were made by me and others around me, which led us to where I am today and where others are today. There is a certain point where your decisions are king, right? In your life. And what I mean by that word, the decisions you make actually affect directly what you experience 
Because when you're grown, when you're born into something, you got to play with the cards that you're dealt, right? Like you can't, you can't determine out the womb who your parents are going to be, mm-hmm. right? And what your living situation is going to be. You just kind of have to deal with that for the first, say, uh, probably like 15, 16 years or something like that, depending mm-hmm. on your situation. After that, once you get into high school, if we're just talking about the the, the, the constructs that we operate within now um, and the systems we operate within now, once you get to like high school, then you have some level of um, I, I would say more level of accountability, but you have more agency to make some decisions. And at that point, for me, it's like, okay, how your groom shapes how you make decisions for sure. You mm. also have the ability to make decisions based on your experiences. And if your experiences today have not gotten you to where you want to be in present time, then you got to start making different decisions. And I realized in high school, I started making different decisions, right? And I knew they were different because they were different than my friends' decisions. And I knew they were different because my friends would then choose to make similar decisions as me. Right. Mm. So the ones that got to where I am now, we started to make similar decisions as opposed to some of our other friends who made opposite choices and they landed, say, still in the hood, maybe living okay, but they still in the hood. And so as I do this reflection, Chris, this is this is actually the quick take. It's like, yo, man, I. I've gotten here. Um, I belong where I'm at. Um, I wish I could have others with me, but I don't feel any remorse or any guilt. Um like I didn't earn it or not that I shouldn't be here. I'm like, nah, I am here. I think my challenge though is to get others here as well, or at least to get to this point somewhere in their near future. That's where I'm at with this one. I don't know, man. I, I guess I guess it's more of a, a self-focused view of it. For me, mm-hmm. like survivor's remorse is the idea that you're the only one. Mm. That's where I see it from. It's like, dang, man, it was all of us. You always trying to make it out. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're growing up, you have you you can't choose who your parents are. You can't choose where you grow up. So you know, so a lot of us, 100%. you know, you grow up. Some people become gangsters cut by necessity. Some people become thugged out by proximity, and others become a hood adjacent by rejection. It's like, dog, I'm just from here, bro, but I'm not mm. from here. Like I live here, but I'm not from here, bro. And that's a mentality I feel like I adopted pretty early on. Like I'm from around the way. Like I live around the way, but I'm not from around here, bro. Like. People be out here move different. You know, I've told many stories, you know, getting jumped, you know what I'm saying? People throwing knives and some people get shot and stuff like that. Drive-bys got run in the house and streetlights come on, you know, you got to know what streets you can take to get home. Like stuff like that, like wild stuff that don't make sense. The ways you got to navigate growing up mm-hmm. in the inner city, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's just things that you don't really think about, but it seems so normal when you growing up and it's like you still find yourself doing those same things as a grown man. Like sometimes like I don't like going out at night. I'm just going to be real candid. I really don't mm-hmm. like going out at night. Why? Cause I'm just so used to just when stuff happen, like anything, as soon as the street lights come on, that's when I'm just used to stuff popping off. So it's like, I get a bit of like, I have reservations about going out really late at night. Like I remember at AU, y'all would be like, yeah, man, we going out. Y'all be talking about how y'all come back one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning. The bus is not running. Y'all just walking home. And I remember I would just think to myself, that's dumb as hell. Like I would, I would never do <laughs> stuff like that. Like y'all walking Even around. in the suburbs, we were in the burbs. No, I don't care about none of that. Like you never know what something can jump off. Like I, this is real. This like is real. I'm saying, bro. Like I remember when I, I told this story that time me and my brother was walking home. Um, he's coming home from being around the way. It was late. Cause we just thought it was cool. You know, we we walk at home, we catch the bus. The bus driver told us we had to get off the bus. We like, well, he's like, man, my shift is over. Like, it's time to we gotta get on the bus. We was like, where? He's like, yeah, we was like, man, we around the corner. Like, you going that way anyway. He said, No, I'm not. This is the So he cut his route short. This is the 2000s. Metro was different. I guess they ain't have all the trackers and stuff. I just remember we had to get off the bus, bro. It was bugged out. 
So we walk in. I'm like, oh, this man just really kicked us off the goddamn bus. So we walk in. I remember, and this is like where my grandmother used to live at over on um, Southern Ave, but she didn't live in the part that's where I got held up at or whatever. She lived in a nice mm-hmm. part of Southern Ave, like near Merlin, on the Merlin side. And this is the early 2000s. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was a pretty middle-class community. Like you had a, a housing community, like you had a housing and apartments and stuff, but it wasn't like what it is today. Like mm-hmm. back then it kind of was like everybody had a job, everybody was working, people had money, everybody had cars, you know, stuff like that. Just like 1980s black folk, right. positive black folk. But up the street you had Ben and Road and that's where it was still, it was going off. Like it was she going down. Yeah, it was going, it was going down on Ben and Road. So we walking up the street, me and my brother got on these purple jackets. We dressed like 2000s Philadelphia rappers. And we've got like these Barney. two. Barney. The hell no, you got a big ass purple jacket on? Not a purple jacket. I said we had two puffy jackets, bro. Puffy. Oh, I thought you said purple. Why would I wear a purple <laughs> jacket? Like back then. Now, I probably wear a purple jacket today, but not back then. I only wore oh, black, okay. white, ahead. gray, and silver. That's all I wore. So mm-hmm. those were the colors. Oh, yeah, and blue. Um, those were the colors of my neighborhood, whatever. Not that we had colors, but that's what you wore if you were somewhere around the way. So I had on my silver um, state property jacket. <laughs> and it was baggy yeah. as all could be baggy. And the Kago had on his army green state property jacket. They were the same jacket, just different colors. And we used to walk, mm-hmm. we was rocking them Jones. I had on my hoodie, I had on my little, my little cross chain. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, you know, I was a young, we was young, like just thinking we was living, had the hip hop generation, <laughs> um, but all black, but then all black, black jeans, black long, tall tee, black beanie. You know what I'm saying? We just walking up the street, walking, walking, walking. And we trying to walk fast. Cause we know this is what happens. Like this is when you get got, this is when you get got. Cause it's the mm-hmm. same time. This is the time when we had, uh, the Guns Killing Youngins movement, me and Kega was a part of with our um, youth organization, Fly, where people was getting killed for jackets, hoodies, sneakers, mm-hmm. cell phones, iPods. People was getting killed for the dumbest stuff. And we knew that. So he's like, man, we gotta walk fast. So we walk and walk and walk. And then this car pull up, but like behind us, you know, you keep your head on the swivel, you just get danger sense. That's what me and Kega call it. Spidey Dan- sense. We call it danger sense. Like there's an issue. Mm-hmm. There's something happening around me, like a like in a video game. You got those um cutscenes as action, or action-matic, where you got to press the buttons <laughs> at the right time. That's what it was. So it's like, things slow down, and you look, you just, you don't let them know you're looking, but you look, and you hear it, like, because you can hear it coming, like, way up the block. Like, again, it's always, mm-hmm. it's a thing with me. Like, I can see stuff happening before it happens. So I'm like, dog, it's a car behind us. So I'm like, I'm like nudging Kiego. He's like, yeah, I see, I see it. So you walk in, and then they roll down the window, like, they cut the lights off, and they roll down the window, and they start looking. And we like, dog, what the fuck? So we trying, we just trying to ignore it. And but you're the same because you don't want to look like a sucker. So you just try to mm-hmm. ignore it. And then we just say, ain't that them right there? And me and Kiego looking around, like low key looking to see who else is outside. It's just me and Kiego. Mm-hmm. Like, and then we hear, yeah, that is them. Hey, go, 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 spill up the box. Go, turn around, turn around. And we was like, you trying to run? I remember that's the thing I asked. Kiego. I was like, you trying to run? He's like, yeah. So we just sprint, start sprinting, bro. Mm-hmm. So at this point. Nobody knows, but a lot of people are not from D.C. to listen to the show. But imagine trying to run a mile in a puffy jacket, a hoodie, baggy jeans, tall, long T-shirt, and a beanie <laughs> and some boots. And not, not Tim's, not, you know, uh, Nike boots didn't exist at the time. I'm talking about, like, some real Payless Burlington yeah. Co. Factory boots. Like, they, we, our friends used to make fun of us because <laughs> we had the waterproofs. That's what we called them, the waterproofs. They look like Timberlands, but they not Timberlands, <laughs> bro. They not comfortable, bro. So we, like, booking a mile in them jumps. Like, stomping. Like, stomping looking the whole like, way. <laughs> yes, looking like DMX and um, Cradle to the Grave. You know how you used to do all the karate stuff in that movie, doing flips and jump? <laughs> like, looking like that. Hard body ran a whole mile, like, dead sprint. That was the fastest I think I ever ran a mile of my life. I think we made it from top of the hill 
and people that know that's from around there know what I'm talking about. Like from top of the hill all the way down up to Southern Ave, like it's a it's a hard run, bro. Like it's that mm-hmm. uphill, downhill, then back uphill. Like we ran that whole way, bro. No stopping. Like I'm talking about cars trying to like cars going like. Th- Cars it's adrenaline. Yeah, adrenaline but, but, but the cars wasn't. It was the car was behind us though. Like it was trying to catch us, but we was moving too fast. Like that's the, that's how fast we were running. And when we was just made it into the lobby, we just and we just ran to the elevator. I remember we stood behind the door because the car pulled up into the little roundabout for where our grandmother lived, and they was like trying to look in. Because I'm telling you, bro, it was it was a serious situation, bro. Mm-hmm. So when we got upstairs, and our grandma was like, "What's wrong?" Because it had to be like ten when we was coming back, which is late. Because my grandmother went mm-hmm. to sleep around nine. Because I think she might have been already been asleep. And she's like, what's wrong? We was like, nothing, nothing. She's like, okay. And when me and Kayla just went, took showers and just went to sleep, we didn't even tell her about it. But I think about that a lot. Like, I could have died right there. Like, something dumb could over oh, a mistaken identity. Because ain't like me and Kayla moving around like that. But, mm-hmm. and I say all that to say, like, those are the situations that really make you feel like, dang, man, I'm, am I really supposed to be here? And I wish more people was here. Because I, mean, I imagine situations where people didn't have that reaction. Like, no, nah, I ain't going to run. Nah, I'm not going, I'm going to stay on my ground. You know what I'm saying? I ain't no sucker. I ain't going out like no chump. Da, 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 da. And actually, you know, they dead. And it's like, dag, man. And it's like, that's supposed to be, but he a real one. That's a real one. It's like, yeah, but now mm. you real dead, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know, man. It's like, I got a lot of stories like that. Or hearing about your friends and your friends not making it. Or, you know, I remember my mom told me one of our friends, he wasn't no good. He's bad to hang out with. And me and Kegel mm-hmm. love hanging out with the dude. I ain't gonna say his name, but we love hanging out with him. Especially me, I love hanging out with him. Cause he's just a funny dude. Like he's charismatic and you know, he always had game and he was smart. He tried to be like, he was like the oldest one in our little front group at the time. Mm-hmm. And he used to give us quotes and stuff. And he tried to encourage us to be more, you know, social and all that other stuff. He took a real liking to me when I was in fourth grade. Cause he was in, he was in fifth grade and he just mm-hmm. kind of took me under the wing and tried to give me some, some steeds, you know, give me some game. Cause I was so square, man. Like <laughs> he's trying to round me out. So, you know, I remember my mom used to always talk about him. I was like, man, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Da, 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 da. And then one day my grand, my mom, this is after we already moved out. This had to be like in college, like maybe my sophomore year. I remember cause she was working at a shelter. My mom worked at a shelter for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I remember she told me she saw him. I was like, what? She's like, guess who I ran into such and such. And she found us so happy. And I was like, oh, how's it? And I was excited. I was like, man, I ain't spoke to him in years, man. How you doing? Mm-hmm. I'm in college. I'm doing my thing. You know what I'm saying? She's like, yeah, he was he was homeless. I told you. And I was just like, what? She's like, yeah, he's homeless. I told you he wasn't going to be nothing. And I was like, and she was so happy about it. And I was like, mm-hmm. how do you? I was like, why does that bring you pleasure that somebody that I really grew up with and I really had a lot of like growing up with, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody that really mm-hmm. I looked up to in a way at, some, at times in my life, he doing bad and that make you feel good. And she's like, I just wanted to let you know. And then she just hung up the phone. And I was like, man. <sighs> and I remember that really affected me at that time. And I just felt sad, like, for the rest of that day. Because it's like, dang, it's another homie who has so much potential who ain't making it now. He's just homeless. And nine times out of ten of you, homeless. It's probably because of drugs. Or, you know, that's usually what happened. Because he had so much going about him. He could read, he could mm-hmm. write, could smart, could be smart, could play sports, was good with women. It's crazy. And now mm-hmm. he's just a homeless man. So, I don't know, man. It bothers me. I want to trade a story, Chris. Okay. Because I see what side you're on and I see what side I'm on. In high school, and again, this is a particular time frame that I'm telling you about, right? Mm. Um, in both these examples that I've given. In, in high school, there was this program called I Am. And it was a program that was run out of USC. Um, and so there was a guy who was one of the mentors and he was doing his um, graduate degree in education. 
particularly like an EDD, a doctoral. And I was recommended for this program along with three other kids. It was me, um, uh, another girl, I ain't gonna say her name, um, and two other cats. And I'm the only black dude, two Latinos, and then one Latina. And it's an after-school meetup with this mentor who goes to USC down the block. And the idea is we're in the 10th grade at this time. Mm -hmm. And the idea is like, it's like a pre-college preparation. Like meet a mentor who's in college, done multiple levels of college, whatever resources you need or mentorship you need, this person can give it to you and help you navigate the pre-college process, which is Mm -hmm. helping you understand what colleges need, get through the application, all of that, you know, jazz. And, um, you know, I was told about this and I said, you know what, I'm gonna go. Right. So the four of us are supposed to meet up after school. And I show up to this, to this, to this room on my campus. And I'm the only one that shows up. And so it's me and this dude sitting in this room and we just start shooting the shit. Fast forward, uh, he becomes my mentor, long, like lifelong mentor. Mm. He's Dr. Jonathan Mathis. Um, he's going off to do some really wild, amazing shit. And the four of us, three of us went off to college. And I don't know really what happened to the other two. One went to UCLA and she was on the soccer team. So some of the homies don't know who I'm talking about. And then the other cat, I don't know what really happened to him, but I'd, I'd like to think that I'm in a really great place. I don't, I don't know where they are. And um, the likelihood after coming out of my high school is that not most people are in like a really good place. So when I think about that, it's the decision to show up and to take the opportunity and to take the help that is given to you. Right. And I was kicking this around a little bit. It's like, I didn't always expect help, but I did a really great job accepting help mm. when I was offered it. Right. And you got to do, you also have to have a radar and you have to be able to do your due diligence to understand where the help is coming from and who it's coming from. Like we talked about it, like certain help when you're on a block, you don't want it. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, that comes with strings. Hey, if you, if I do this for you, you got to do this for me. Right. If I'm going to help you do this, you got to run something for me. Nah, I don't want that help. I don't want that help. Like, but, but there is the help that they're like, hey, yo, like you mentioned this before. Hey, yo, Chris, you got to get out of here because something's about to go. That's help. That, yeah. And yeah, you accept that help. You get the, you get the hell out of there. <laughs> or if they're like, yo, I'm going to hand you this because I see you doing this and you helping my little brother stay out the way too. So I'm going to go ahead and hand you this, but like, don't worry about it. Get out of here. And then you just know you got the, you know, the respect of uh, the folks on the block that they yeah. just want you to get out and do your thing because they mm. see you as a beacon of hope, mm. right? And a beacon of light for everybody else, even if they don't have any intention of getting there probably because they can't at this stage, but they see it for their younger siblings and cousins and all that. So they're like, you go ahead and you do it. You have to be able to see that. And so for me, I never met this dude before, but I was just like, man, that motherfucker in college at a school that everybody talk about down the street, I'm going to show up and see what he's talking about. I had no idea he was a black man. I had no idea anything about him, but I just showed up and next thing you know, he becomes a lifelong mentor. And so in this case, it's about making those decisions. Those other three people, I hope they're okay. I should probably look them up on Instagram now just to see if I could even find them or ask some of the homies to see if they're still in touch. But it's a series of decisions around me being able to delineate the help that I'm getting and the help that is offered and then making a choice and saying, I'll take the help. Right. And over my life, high school and the college and in adulthood, making those same choices, taking the help when I'm offered it, when it makes sense, accepting the help. Right. I don't always expect people to do for me, but when they do, I'll take it. And it's allowed me to get to where I'm at. Yeah. So again, as it pertains to this particular survivor's remorse, I get how you're framing it. It's the right way to frame it, right? It's about you being here and others are not, right? And I think that the part that I'm really hyper-focused on is like, but what are the other pieces that delineate you being here and others not? Is it just us being wrong place, wrong time, right? And getting killed? 
Absolutely, mm. right? Because that's absolutely happened. <laughs> like, uh, th- there's a name that still makes me sad to this day. One of my good brothers, Wendell Lee. Yeah. And I, I say that name proudly. Whoever's listening to this and you from LA or you just knew Dale, like, like he's a special dude. Uh, wrong place, wrong time. No, and there's no, there's very few instances where I would say people deserve anything, right? Positive or bad. But dude did not deserve to go out the way in which life removed him from this world. And so he was, he was murdered, cold blood, right? And so I know that there is a special moment where I was able to navigate things, but was also given a lot of grace by the cosmos to be able to get out of certain situations where other people were not. I'm not particularly focused on that with the remorse part. But I am focusing on like the agency piece. Like how much do we have control and what can you control? Do you control those and do you make those decisions? Quote unquote, the right decisions that get you to where you are. And that's where I'm at. So yeah, I think there's a part of me where I'm like, yeah, I do I do feel sympathetic um, to people's situations. I, Erica told me I have a problem with empathy sometimes. I do think that is a reflection of me growing up yeah. and having to create like a, 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 a real Compart- steel. They call it compartmentalization. I can compartmentalize anything. I can compartmentalize anything. One thousand percent. From survival. Come across as a robot. You're a robot. You don't have emotions, Chris. It's like, I got emotions. <laughs> it's just I'm choosing to react mentally as well as to respond emotionally. Oh, in a person, like, see me in a workplace? I have, like, my emotional intelligence, my uh, social aware, all of that stuff on fire. And, like, if I'm hanging out with the homies and friends, all of that. But when it's, like, one-to-one with me and Erica and she can hear how I really feel about shit. It's like, well, yeah, you get to hear like intimate moments where I'm like, yeah, I do this shit because I got to show up. It's not that it's fake or fraudulent. It's like sometimes you got to do what the fuck you got to do. And I know my role in life and I know my role in a lot of people's life. I got to bring the energy. I got to bring the hope. I got to be able to catalyze, get folks excited about things and move folks forward. I know my role. So I'm going to play that. But outside of that, I'd rather not give a fuck about any of this. <laughs> any of this. So in this case, Chris, like that's that's where I want to hyper-focus is like y- your agency. How much of that do you really tap into and leverage to get to where you are? And if you can have a true understanding of your sense of agency, how much further can that ground you in being able to make the changes you need to get to where you want to go? And I think that sense of agency can being grounded in that sense of agency can happen at any time. So if you're not there now, which is why I said earlier, if you're not where you want to be now, I want to help you move where you're trying to go but i know from growing up to where i am now that's why i feel less of that survivor's remorse man because i was making decisions and luckily luckily those situations and decisions worked out for me and i, I just remember i got vivid memories of like being a fly like i, I always think about that Me and have a more of an argument about if whether or not we would have still been successful if we wasn't a part of a fly mm, that's real and i think about that a lot i'm like man i don't know man <laughs> like I really say mm-hmm. I don't know Like I think that The, the ceiling for me And my brother got raised By being in fly Cause at a certain really? level I feel like at a certain level That we would have reached But because of the situation And home And stuff like that It was just so many things That was factors It's like dog The ability for us to have The wings to really Flap and get out of that situation Was really expedited And grow, expanded greatly by fly And Kay was like Nah man we probably still would have made it We probably just wouldn't have been What we doing now and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I mean, to me, I won't. I can't imagine if I was doing anything else, really. Like, I can't see myself going anywhere. Like, this is what, like, like I lived the life I always wanted in a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's, I could do anything I wanted anytime. I got a good level of income. So is that, no, no, I want to interject real quick. So is that, you're saying a direct result of Fly, or is that a result of your decisions, and Fly was one of the decisions you made? That's what I'm trying to get to. It's a context. Okay, go ahead. It's context. Go so ahead. it's like, so it's like, I, I, like I said, like, I feel like I do, uh, my life, I feel like I live a pretty good life. 
I don't want for nothing. I definitely don't need. I definitely don't need for nothing. Uh, you know, I'm in a in a healthy relationship now. You know what I'm saying? It's just you know I'm in pretty good shape, trying to be in better shape. I always want better health. You know what I'm saying? But not better help because I don't think therapy's a thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Better help is trash. I just want to try. Sex therapy don't work, bro. Go take your ass up to somebody, bro. That's right, man. Push it down. No, that only work evil. Push it down. Die at 50. You know what I'm saying? Push it down. <laughs> actually, actually, if Better Help want to sponsor this podcast, come through, man. We got you, bro. I'm all about self-help. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he was talking about. Yeah, my, my, I'm taking your piece out. I'm going to leave my piece in. Your point is crazy. But yeah, push it down, man. Why would you even do that? Push it down. Become a uh, Let it build into an ulcer. Then die at 50. But I would say all that to say, like, man, I really think about that. Like, I remember me and Kiko joined Fly. In the first years, you know, it was rough. It wasn't even Fly at that time. It was Americans and all this stuff. It was mm-hmm. just some white folks coming into the hood to try to help black kids. And you see that all the time. Like, you got all those different mm-hmm. movies, you know, Co- not Coach Carter with the um, Freedom Writers and all that other stuff. Writers, all those yeah. type of movies where people come in and do all this nonsense. Yeah, where people come in and do all this nonsense, right? But the issue that I found is that me and Kayla, once we was in the program, we tried to get our friends in it immediately. Everybody we knew, like, mm-hmm. we were like, oh, y'all gotta come to this program. Y'all gotta come to this program. Y'all gotta fly. Y'all gotta come. Y'all gotta come. Ho, ho, ho. I'm gonna introduce y'all to Jamie. I'm gonna introduce y'all to Jamie. They can get y'all the application for y'all mother to sign. Y'all gotta come. Y'all gotta come. Like, at one point, I feel like me and Kayla was recruiting from fly, like, <laughs> like Avon. No you know conversation. Yeah, no yeah, conversation. Like, no conversation. Just trying to save people. Like, dog, you gotta get out the hood. Like, at one point, we had everybody that we went to high, like, middle school with. I mean, not middle school, elementary school. With I feel like I feel like it was a majority of them knew me and Kiego, like at least a good. It may have been forty kids, right? Fifteen kids might have been directly associated to me and Kiego. The other kids might have just been associated with the recreation center, which is where Fly was housed once it started to expand. Um, so in that, you know, you see the people that come in and come in and come out, come in and come out, come in and come out. And I remember the, our friends used to always make fun of us and be like, "Man, y'all be with the white people." That like that mm. used to be a common thing yeah. people would say about me and Kill man. Y'all be with the white people, bro. We know where y'all head at. Y'all be with the white people. Y'all be on your white boy mission. That's what they used to call it. y'all be on your white boy mission. <laughs> like, hey Connor, what's going on? You know, you do the little voices and all like, I come, I don't know what it feels like. To the bottom of the door now. Listen to all that music. Call me, call me, Donna, 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 Donna. Like, you know what I'm saying? Listen to all that music. Cause you know, that's what people used to see me and Kiego with people that look like they in those bands and stuff. Cause that was a thing from the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. people dressed, you know? So me and, Kegel, and me and Kegel, we used to just laugh it off. Like, dog, it's not even like that. And you trying to explain it to him. Like, we just going somewhere different. It's hard to describe the way that me and Kegel grew up. Like, our association with the world is like almost like a video game. Like, certain areas of the DC was, was locked. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> like, I still remember the first time I went on a train. I was so afraid. I was like, dog, we going on a train? Like, I've never been on a train before. That's the thing. Like, I, yeah. like I lived... 10, not even 10 minutes from the Metro. And I I was maybe eight, I feel like, when mm-hmm. I first got on the train, eight or nine, and I was scared. I was like, dog, where we going? And we just ended up going real far. Like, we didn't go somewhere normal, like, catch the bus somewhere. It was on the train, underground with lights and stuff. And then you get out, come from under the tunnel, and then you in another part of the city. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. This is, and it's like, where are we at? It's like, y'all in D.C.? It's like, this D.C.? And it sounds crazy coming from yeah. a kid. But it's because of the limited resources I had growing up. But that wasn't something we would do. Like limited going to exposure. The, yeah, going to the zoo and stuff. It's like, we did that. But it, I never, I wasn't able to walk around the community to go there to see all mm-hmm. the trees and how it was clean. And it's just, it just was different. And it's like, those are the things and experiences you can't 
you can't they can't be matched in a way because they show you so it open your mind to something different. Or the first time you go to the American University campus when you eight years old, and it's just mm-hmm. first of all, it's clean. Like <laughs> clean bro and green no, and, and manicure no, so and... i'm try, i'm telling you but it used to be different in the 90s in the 2000s uh-huh. it was different bro like well, au now it's kind of i'm kind of jaded whatever because all the money and all the dumb stuff that uh, happened you there. know how much that shit costs yeah <laughs> like yeah but and as a little kid it's like wow what is this and it's like there's no like big cans or condoms or you know what i'm saying trash <laughs> garbage you everywhere it lying. don't it don't stink like and it don't smell like piss in the corners and stuff like that it's no junkies or crackheads just jumping out on you and stuff it's like what is this and then it's so green like it's not great like i feel like that's a mm-hmm. thing growing up in a community we grew up it was trees and stuff but it really was just more concrete everywhere brick concrete brick concrete abandoned house burned down house abandoned car blowing up a car and then it's like you go to AU, it's just green 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 old building old building mm-hmm. old building and it's like those experiences is like things that really change your perspective and make you want for more it's like dog i want to be around here i don't want to be where i'm at and it's like that's why i'm gonna say all that to say that's why I wanted my friends to be a part of it. Like, no, you got to join the program. You got to stick with it, though. Because they would hate it. They did not like it. And mm-hmm. you'd be like, no, nah, dog, you missing it. You miss it. And it's like, I, I don't have the, I didn't have the words to articulate what I'm saying now at that time. Like, mm-hmm. dog, you're not here to interact with the white folks. You're here to experience a different part of life, to be safe. Like, to mm-hmm. really come somewhere and just be safe. Like, it's no, you don't got to keep your head on a swivel. You don't gotta be looking around all the time. You don't gotta worry about nobody bothering you. If anything, they scared of you. Damn kid, right now. Yeah, like, and if anything, they scared of you. And it's like I'd much rather be the predator than the prey. And it's it's like just a <laughs> thing, bro. So as your friends begin to drop off, and then you see them immediately drop into something that you wish they wasn't, they never even heard of. Like, oh man, they dropped out of the program. All right, so what they doing now? Man, you know they've been in jail, or they got shot, they got somebody pregnant, or they on drugs, mm. they selling drugs, or they beat somebody up, they stabbed somebody, they got jumped. It's like, dang, man. And it's just you. I used to think, man, I wish you would just would have stayed and fly. That probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And it just those type of moments, like the decision to be on my white boy mission, as people called it back then, really changed my life forever, like forever. And I'm always gonna be grateful to like Jamie and Amy and Sharice and. You know, all them folks that really helped us out when we was young, like to take the time to pour into us as vessels. The worst thing it could be is recognizing as a young person that you got potential, but you don't have nobody to help nurture that mm. potential. And that's a piece for me about survivors most. Because I, I, me and Kegel talk about all the time. We remember people were smarter than us. Like people always thought me and Kegel were smart. Me and Kegel was funny. You know what I'm saying? We was all right looking. We wasn't ugly. You know what I'm saying? We, you know, but we, it's always, me and Kegel always used to see our friends. It's like, nah, you, you way smarter than me or you way better than better than, at that than I am. Like, you just not even trying. Like, nah, you could do it too. Like, you could do it too. You don't give up. Like, you got to believe in yourself. It's just me and Kegel happen to be good at a lot of stuff. It's like, but mm-hmm. you better than me at this thing. I'm not as good as you at that. You're, I, I can do, I can do that too, but your potential at that is way higher than and we used to try to tell our friends that I remember Josh and Jamal and then we used to do I mean you know with Duke you learn a lot of things about art but the main thing you learned was who was good at who was good and who was bad and then like mm-hmm. me I was just happened to be good at everything I was good at everything I wasn't the best at nothing but I was good at everything but then mm-hmm. it's like Josh could draw out his head portraits like um, from a memory and it looked like real life Jamal could make up stuff out of his head and it looks to be the most 
wild stuff you ever think of. You know what I'm saying? Kiego could make stuff up. Kiego could just do draw. Like he just, just loved to draw. He could sketch all day. It's like those are skills that I didn't have. You could be an S plus at something. I feel like everything I was good at, I was always an A minus. Mm. I'm, I'm an A minus at everything. I'm not S plus at nothing, but I'm an A minus at everything. And it's like, would I trade being an A minus at everything to be a B plus and bring every, and bring everybody else I know up to be a C to everything? Yes. A hundred percent. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the mentality I have about Sapphire for more. So it's like, just because you see me as an A minus at everything don't mean that you can't be a C plus and still make it to where I'm at. Cause you could be a C plus at everything, but might be an S plus at one thing. And that one thing mm-hmm. will propel you to stay, to be in the same realm as me. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't have nobody that's able to nurture that, it's never going to happen. Man, that's real, man. And, uh, I was thinking about the difference between two words because, you know, you and I, we like our syllables. And I was thinking of survival's remorse versus survivor's guilt, right? And the nuance there is guilty. You just feel really bad about something that transpired, particularly if you were involved or you're the perpetrator. And this is examples that we've given around life or death. Like you feel guilty because you didn't die, right? Someone else died, you didn't die. Remorse is you may feel a it's it's a part of that guilty, but it's like what else also are you going to do about it? Do you feel triggered to do something in reaction to that? And if we want, I'm gonna stay on the remorse side, and I also just want to think about a different word and like obligation, like the survivor's obligation. And like for me, I think that's where I am, and I'd like to think that's where you are. That's where you are, and a lot of where our friends are, right? The ones that are striving. Um, who are thriving, but in order for us to all strive for greatness, we need to help others thrive, right? Because I can't reach peak Mike if I don't have others around me helping push me to be greater, right? If I'm the only one pulling, like who's pulling me, right? And that's why they say as you get older, you get wealthier and you do greater things, like being rich and being healthy and all that stuff by yourself is born. Like it is. Like Kevin Hart talks about this. A lot of wealthy people talk about it. Like if it's just me, it's not fun. Right. And so as much as I may talk about the decisions that I've made, I also know that like I don't want to be the only one experiencing the comforts of life that I'm experiencing. Right. I want my friends, I want my family, I want my peers to experience the exact same thing. Right. And I want them to feel like they've earned it. Right. Cause if you don't, if you haven't earned many things, you'll give it away. It's like the lottery. You win the goddamn jackpot, you spend that joint in like two years. But if you save, 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 invested, 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 and then now you got millions of dollars, you ain't going to spend it in a day because you know how you got it. Yeah. And so in this case, like for the survivor's obligation, I do feel an obligation mm. to uplift and empower my family, my peers, my friends. I do feel that obligation. So I don't take that. Um, at all, I, I don't, I don't, I don't overlook that responsibility of mine. I also think that being a and man, and I like to talk about like there's understanding decisions that I made and the decisions that I need to continue to make to be able to support those mm-hmm. around me and okay. to be able to uplift them. So I don't want to separate it to say I did all these things and now I'm here where I'm at. Everybody can go fuck off. It's like, no, I do know the difference between things I've done and where I'm at and what things other people have done and where they at. I do know the nuance. I know the difference. I still haven't given up hope on them. And I still want them to get to that next level. And so, Chris, when you think about like that obligation, that's what I'm hearing from you, though. It's like you felt that obligation early on while you were going through the process, while that separation was happening. You could see it, right? Because you're like, I'm going to these programs and they're dropping off and now they are still around away. And I'm now on American University's campus 
prior to college, right? You can see that separation starting to happen. Yeah. I could see it too in high school, right? I could, I could see it when I would go to those mentorship programs, when I would stay after school and hoop or, you know, I would do all the little things that I was doing with my homies, but I noticed the little nuanced decision that I was making outside of just like the fun and games, right? We would all hoop together. We would all be in the gym. We'd all be working out. We'd all do the things that we need to do for basketball. And basketball, I wouldn't say it was a saving grace for me because mm. I think I was always along this trajectory. I think it was just something just from my earlier experiences in life where I was just turned off to a lot of things. You said something earlier when you said you're not from here. Mm. I never felt like I was from LA, like, you know, from 97 to Hoover. Like that wasn't me. I'm glad I get to say it now because apparently it's a badge of honor <laughs> to be able to say I got it out. But I didn't really feel like that. You know what I mean? So like I always knew I needed to do something different because this level of discomfort didn't feel real to me. Right. And people live within a lot of discomfort. And so as I was going, these programs helped aid me and accelerate me. I like that word that you use, but I was always going to get here. Right. But they just made that path a little less rough. Yeah. And so the obligation is what I'm really hearing from you. And I think that's the part that is the most challenging with all of this is because there's a lot of us who don't have that personal obligation. I'm not saying we're required to have the obligation, but I assume that because I think for me, it's the right thing to do. But lots of us don't accept that obligation to do better, not only for ourselves, but to others. And for me, that's the challenge with survivor's remorse is like, yeah, you can feel how you feel, but what are you doing about it? And you can understand people's situation, but how are you equipped to support them? If you are able to support them, if yeah. you are, do something about it. And a lot of us don't take that leap to support. I think you said a lot there, but the main I thing, I think the main <laughs> thing is like that, desperation, which is what I felt growing up. I felt I used to feel, I felt like I was in a desperate situation. Me and my, my brother and I both were in desperate situations. Like when it comes to living the way we lived and growing up the way we grew up, I'm not here to disparage my mom or nothing. But when you, mm-hmm. when, you see, when you share stories with your friends about stuff and your friends in the same neighborhood as you don't relate, like dog, what are you, t- <laughs> Chris, what are you talking about right now? It's like, what are you talking about? Y'all, y'all ain't never had to do that? It's like, no, bro, what? Like, Slenderboy, that's not what you say. Like, nah, son, I never had to do that. And they start looking at you and then they start offering you stuff. Like, yeah, you can have, you can have this. Here, take this. You can have this. You can have some, here's some chips. Here it is, here it is. And it's like a lot of the stuff with snacks, food, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. And that's, that make you feel different. It's like, hmm, maybe this isn't normal. And then mm. that really begins to, makes you act in a way where you want to, like, create separation from the desperation. You know what I mean? Like, dog, I need to separate myself from the situation. All things that's related to this, I'm not a part of. Like, that's the main thing I always think about, like, curating on me. Like, we never play sports because there was a direct correlation in my neighborhood. Sports, drugs, sports, Mm -hmm. violence. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be in that. Or, you know, even young women. You in a situation, young woman, you getting killed. You know, she's a young mm-hmm. woman. She gonna get pregnant. It's a, and it seemed like it was a hundred percent, ten out of ten. Like it's a hundred percent <laughs> chance she, you mess with a girl around the way in your neighborhood, you're gonna be a young father. Causation. Yeah. So me and Kega was just like, me and Kega was just like, no, nah, I'm not doing it, bro. Not doing it. And then the other thing was that um, acceleration. Like you want to accelerate your 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 escape because of the fact that you're on such a limited time. Because every day there's someone that looks just like you from the same place as you that's getting taken away like in some way they either getting killed they getting you know 
locked up or they getting strung out or something like that. Those three things you're getting taken away. So it's like, I need to do this as quickly as possible. I need to be, and I need to spend as at least the amount of time as I can in this neighborhood because the more time I spend in this neighborhood, the more likelihood something going to happen to me is going to happen to me. So in those moments though, it's like, I still used to, I still reiterate like, like I still feel bad. Like it's a bit of selfishness that came in those moments. Like, dog, I don't have time for you right now. It's like a lot of friendships and stuff. I feel like I look back on kind of with regret, like, dog, I wish I really could have fostered that relationship a bit more. But it's like I was so focused on trying to make sure that I'm never going back that I just can't, bro. Like, Mm. I just can't. It's like like you try to connect with old people you used to be friends with when you was loyal and stuff. And it's like, dog, I I don't have the capacity to help get you the way you need to go. And it's like you want to, but you want to so bad. But it's like, dog, I can't help you because I'm still trying to make sure that I'm never going back. And I st- and I still feel that way sometimes. Like, dog, I feel like I can still go back. Like I'm only a couple paychecks away from having to go back to the hood, bro. And it's like that's a real fear of mine. Like I never want to have to go back to the hood. Like I don't. Like it's the worst feeling in the world. Like I trying to talk bad, but it's like, sometimes I think about my friends and stuff where they at. It's like, dog, you need to get out of your neighborhood, bro. You need to move. You need to get an apartment somewhere else in another part of the city. Y'all should get mm-hmm. your licenses. It just like, I, I can't describe it enough. Like getting a license is almost like a ticket to get out of the hood. As soon as you get a license, cause you've got a car. If you get a car, you can move out the hood. Cause now you mobile, like get far away <laughs> as far as you can from that, get a far away from it. Like, they tore down my old neighborhood, like where we used to grow up, where we hug out and stuff, Burry Farms. They tore it down and people still would hang around. It's no longer there, but people still be posted, you know? And it's like, why are y'all still hanging on to this memory, you know? And last thing I'm going to share about it, I remember I posted something about um, the DAP project. Shout out to the DAP mm-hmm. project. Um, and uh, the DAP project team were looking for some people to interview for their podcast. And, uh, I posted it on my Facebook, on my, on my Instagram in a story. And they were looking for people from Connor Terrace, Congress Terrace, and all these other hoods from DC to tell you about growing up. I remember one of my childhood friends hit me in my deep, like in a DM and a message just like, yo, why ain't the farms on this list? I guess it ain't good enough to be from the farms no more. I remember that really affected me. And I was like, dang, man. I was like, no, it's not even like that, bro. You know, I don't have no resentment or like no problems with y'all. Y'all know y'all, y'all my family. Y'all helped me and kid grow up. Like, so I gave it this long spill. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like I was trying to cop get like cop out cop a plea. But at the same time, I was trying to express to him, like, dog, this is literally a perfunctory thing. Like I just shared it. I didn't read it yeah. like I'm not representing for the hood. Like that's not what I'm doing. And it's like that's the separation I'm talking about. Like he ain't even see the, the difference between dog. We talking about just something for the for the city as a whole. And you worried about just where you from. And it's like, I, I I just couldn't ever understand that. And I feel like that's how you get stuck in that, that cycle. You be so wrapped up in the way you're from, you can't see where you're going to go. Bruh. So I have to do this just because um, it's been a big part of my life the last couple of weeks. Um, boondocks. <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't be disappointed. Um, in this old boondocks, Tom... Uh, the one Chris compared me to, which I still think is disrespectful as I keep watching the show. I get the basic idea of Tom. Like, yeah, doing well, has a white wife and a, you know, a little mixed kid and, you know, is good natured. And I get that part. But <laughs> outside of that, that's different, bro. That's just like saying me and Kevin Hart are the same person because we're short, dark skinned men. No. So the 
<laughs> Tom has an irrational fear of going to prison. Yes. Really Wait, yes. <laughs> and one of the craziest episodes that I saw, and we talked about this a bit, was Booty Warrior. Oh, it's a real person. <laughs> oh, real person. If this is news to you, the Booty Warrior, just YouTube it, man. It's it's ridiculous. And scary. Watch. It's scary. And watch. Oh, it's it's it's, it's absolutely scary as hell like it's like it, so yeah so youtube it to see the to meet the real person and then watch the boondocks episode because it's spot on and it's it's wild but chris i didn't want to stay on boondocks too long but it's about their rational fear piece like tom had this irrational fear where if he went to prison that would happen and then just so in the episode they put him in that environment right and i won't tell you how it ends but you know it's Actually, I will say it doesn't happen. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen almost, but it doesn't, right? And so in this case, Chris, you're not going back to broke, bro. Like you're not. And the reason why I say that with so much gusto is because your life is not based on the lottery system. I mean, going to school probably was like where <laughs> you were going to go in DC was the lottery system, but like you didn't win the lottery, right? You didn't just play a game and get the life that you earned. Like you've worked through it. It's like the example I gave earlier. It's like saving for retirement. That money that you get is different than winning the lottery. The reason why you have the things you have is because all the decisions you made along the way. So this fear that you're going to all of a sudden be three paychecks away from living in the same situation that you did growing up is not rational at all because you built you built a, such a reservoir of resources and assets and skills and experiences and network that you can't go back because, yeah. and then also you just being mad resourceful, being a jack of all trades, like you can do anything. Like at the end of the day, do either one of us see ourselves working at McDonald's and then becoming a manager and then, you know, running three shops? No, but that is a real reality if shit got real. Cause ain't nobody trying to work at McDonald's, but you could, and you can go from making minimum wage to running three or four shops because you have that leadership managerial mindset. And if shit got really bad, that would be a little bit easier for you to do than for you to collect a check from the government. It would be like you wouldn't just let you wouldn't just let your life go, right? Or you wouldn't be so dismayed by what life has happened. How you wouldn't be so dismayed about what has transpired in life that you would allow that to become your life. So I just want to nip that shit in the bud right there. So if there's any work you could do on that irrational fear, it's like, bro, you're not going back. I'm not going back, and that's one thing I had to accept and realize. And I'm going to pause there because you clearly got something to say about that. And the easiest thing I could have did was start an OnlyFans, you know what I'm saying? Start selling feet videos, armpit videos, <laughs> head videos, hand videos, butt videos, you know what I'm saying? Just really going crazy on OnlyFans. That's the easiest thing I could have did. You know what I'm saying? Like in the back of my mind, like I was still, I always reflect on that moment when I was really couldn't get a job and I really was in the gym every day thinking, bro, like I might really have to become a stripper, bro. Uh, like to shake something. <laughs> I really might have to become a stripper. Like, Chris, you got to stop eating all this bull, bull jive start eating like Theon and just get real in shape for no reason and just go out there to these middle America and drive them crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I remember that vividly. Like, dog, I really might have to get naked and start being a stripper. That's crazy. Then I got the job and it saved my life. I feel bad sometimes still for people around the way, people that stuck around the way and can't get out. Mm -hmm. I feel bad for people that's in their own way. And I feel mm -hmm. bad that I don't have the capacity to help them. I don't know how to navigate that, but it's something I got to work on. I know I, it's something I've been working on because I think about it a lot, but that's also because I'm really in my head a lot. Mm. That's a real thing, dude. So this is the, the second part of this. Tom was the the, the, the funny piece for me. Um, but the, the real part also too is 
I've had, I have relationships in my life that were rekindled after we fell off, right? And it's because I needed to make the selfish decisions to prioritize my own pursuits of happiness. And for a while, I did feel bad. I did feel bad about that because I had certain friends who didn't have access to that agency just yet, right? They did. They didn't really access it, and so they struggled a bit when they didn't have a friend like me or others to like lean on for that guidance and that push. And we still talk about this as friends today. Like, man, had I done this, had I done this, life would have been different. And I agree with that. I also struggle with it too, right? Because I'm like, how many times can we have this conversation in particular? Like if I had this, I had that, things would be different. It's like, but what about now though, right? Hmm. And so when I was younger, I didn't have the emotional capacity. I didn't have the mental fortitude. I didn't have the experience or the knowledge to be able to act in advance when I would see a friend retreating, right, from excellence, hmm. right? I didn't, I didn't really have that ability to do it. And I, I want to give myself some grace, right? Because... Like, how could I have expected to even know those things? I had to learn those things for myself, right? And the reason why I do speak with so gusto around agency and efficacy and all of those things, accountability, responsibility, is because I had to build those muscles. And now that I'm able to flex those muscles, I can show you how to build those muscles. Now, the question is, do you want to put in that work, though? (laughs) And so what I've had to accept as I've gone, because, bro, I'm seeing this in my personal life with my homies. I'm seeing this with my lady. Right. As amazing as she is, there's some things that she wants to work on. So, like, how do I empower her? How do I support her to be able to elevate to go to where she wants to go in particular areas? Right. I would think there's a one on one correlation with you being able to do your professional grind to be able to apply it to your personal life, but it's not always that one to one. So, how do you support friends? My mom trying to get her out the hood, so many different, like, there's this on and on, even, even from a professional sense, trying to get your colleagues up to snuff to be mm-hmm. able to do what you think that they're capable of. It takes a particular set of skills. At the end of the day, you are only one man. I'm only one man. I can only do so much. And so just like this analogy, I bring this up all the time. It's when you're on the fucking airplane and it's going down and those bag drops, what, who do they tell you to take care of first? Yourself. Yourself. Right. And so at the end of the day, I think we think of the word selfish as like a, as like a negative connotation. I think mm-hmm. there are variations of the word and how it can be applied. And I think at the end of the day, there is a positive sense of being selfish because at many points in your life, you do have to take care of yourself. And once you are able to take care of yourself, then you can help take care of others. But at the end of the day, they have to be selfish and apply that pressure to themselves, just like you did the same thing, because you can't always hold their weight forever. So like the biggest gift that we can give to somebody is agency, is the ability to do for self, right? Because if you can do for self, then you can do for others. And so, dude, the biggest thing I think you or I could do is to keep doing what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. And the people who want to um, do similar things, who who are inspired by us or aspire to be great like we do, they'll lean in because you want to surround yourself with people who you aspire to be or who you believe that you are a part of, right? Think yeah. of the people who you surround yourself with. Like, real talk, you surround yourself with people who make you better. Like, as much as we talk shit on this podcast, like a lot of our conversations are this piece. Yeah. It's like we talk about what's going on in life and then we push each other. Yeah. <laughs> we support each other. You know, I know you don't want to say this because it might be soft, but we hold each other's hands. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we hold each, and we walk each other through I, the I process. Nobody, I ain't holding nobody's hand. I ain't holding Chris, you, hand. You, you interlock your fingers between my fingers and then we hold hands very tightly as you walk me through the forest. Into pause. The light. Pause. What is this man <laughs> talking about? 
<laughs> you comfort and console me. Come on, man. Yeah, you tripping, man. You mad? You finished. You finished. Your party. So you, you was going to court. You're you was done, going crazy. You was going crazy for a bit of day. It was going good. Going good. But now you off the edge, man. You, it's over, bro. Like, I, I think I realized what the issue is. I've been listening to too much sad boy rap. I need to start listening to more Jay-Z. When I when I was young, all I listened to Jay Z. I used to just listen to Jay Z all the time, and I didn't care about nothing or getting my bag together and getting out the hood. And I realized that's the issue. I think I've been listening too much of this nonsensical music, too much of this future, too much of this Drake, too much of this you know Kanye West, mm-hmm. all this Young Thug, Gunna, all that. I need to listen to positive rap, massage positive misogynist rap. That's what it was. It make you feel invincible. Fifty Cent, Jay Z, <laughs> Killer Cam. You know what I'm saying? Hey. People, the people, the people, the foundations, the cornerstones of my personality. I think that's who I need to listen to. Common, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what the problem is. Yeah, bro. I'm talking about the music that is in my ears. Yeah, my artists are. We're like, yeah, we do. I do my shit. What I have is what I have. What I don't have is what I don't have. Like that's cool. Like, but where are we at though? What are you doing about it? And so, yeah, so I think <laughs> for me, I think this is a really, this is a tough topic, right? Because it's just like, I've, I feel both. Like, I, I do genuinely feel both. But I think at this, at the, at, in that respect, I can, if I can feel a little survivor's remorse, but feel a lot more empowered and feel mm-hmm. a lot more capable, competent, um, with a strong sense of agency, right? So I don't have to feel a lot of the remorse because I understand where I've gotten here, but I also know that that context matters. So Chris, man, as we, as we start to wrap this up, I just want to say out loud that, um, you know, this this topic could have went a few different ways. I think we both could have been on the remorse side. Uh, and I was surprised that you actually were on that side. I thought you would have definitely been like a bootstrapper type in this one. No, I mean, I'm a human being. I know who I present on the podcast, you know, but I'm a human being. I got feelings. I care about people. Especially people. Like, <laughs> Obviously, I, care, I know that. <laughs> I care about people. I care about people who I feel like made an impact in my life. And that's what it's mm. about. That's where the, mm. the crux of this comes from. Like all the people I know that impacted me in some way, I, if they're not as successful as me, some I feel somewhat responsible or beholden mm. to them. And that's the real issue. And I just got to be more Jay-Z instead of Dame Dash. Man, don't be Antoine Walker. You can go, go fucking broke. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Antoine Walker is he was one of the wealthiest basketball players. He was like, he was getting the contracts. But he, him and Joe Johnson. I don't want to say the finesse system, but they were like, they became like free agents and signed contracts at like the right times uh-huh. uh, when the caps were growing and stuff. And Antoine Walker is a, is a really good basketball player, famous basketball player. And he made like at least over a hundred million before that was really like fathomable for like yeah. the average basketball player. Uh, and he blew that shit. All of it. All of it. Like all of it. I mean, he talks about it. And it's very, it's a very easy conversation for him to have because he can tell you all the things he spent it on, which are all the things you would think he would spend it on. And one of the biggest things he talked about besides the cars, the homes, right? It was taking care of like eight to 10 dudes that he would say. It's like eight to 10 dudes that would always roll with me wherever I went. Blind, buying their plane tickets. Anytime they went out, buying the meals, buying the drinks, like going on vacation, he said to Puerto Rico and all of these different island destinations, he would pay for everything. And he said, even with his cars, he had the highest luxury brand cars, right? He said Bentleys, right? Just just buying them all. And the money went away. The dumbest hell. Ludacris had Whatever. the best. Ludacris had the best one. Ludacris hired his whole team. Gave everybody jobs and skills. Mm-hmm. I always think about that. Ludacris, oh, this is my security. I grew up with him. Oh, this is my, this my um, manager. I grew up with him. Oh, this is my, um, my accountant. I, t- I sent him to school. Oh, this is my chef. He t- I take him everywhere. I sent him to color to the blue, the cordon blue. Oh, this is my barber. 
he got a barber studio now. He owned a series of barbershops. I, I, I sent him to school. It's like, that's what you do. Like, I always thought about that. Like, I always thought at some point I became, a, when I was trying to be a rapper or whatever, like, I was like, I'm going to become famous rapper. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to send everybody, know I'm going to give them a skill, whatever they like mm-hmm. doing. I'm going to pay for, I'm going to pay for that skill and I'm going to hire them to the team. And then it's going to be a taxable write-off and I get the money back. Like, I was like, dog, I had it all planned out, you know, but it ain't never work out. My bars wasn't up. My beats wasn't good enough. You know what I'm saying? So my promotion game was super whack. Everything was good enough, yeah. but the promotion game was whack. So, yeah, hey, I was on that team too. So <laughs> that being said, my barber coming with me when I get my own. When, when the bread becomes like that, barber coming with me. Uh, Chris, I'm going to film my life. It's going to be a reality TV show. Yeah, so I'm going to have a videographer around all the goddamn time. Um, and I'm going to just help everybody stack the bear for like five to 10 years. And then I'm going to disappear. Mm. That's my game. That's where I'm at with it. I don't know, man. I still hope one day I, I, I invest in the right things. And then I just start making passive income off all my investments. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Mike is like, I'm trying to still be MTV crazy. And Chris is like, I just want to make sure I put 5% away and my company will match. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, bro. I just want a nice girl. <laughs> Listen, bro. There's some real, that's real, that's real spill Holyfield, bro. It's, it's sick out here, man. It's sick out here. It sounds it sound funny until we, we everybody's 75 and Chris always out. You know what I'm saying? Chris always out. Why Chris? Oh, Chris is always out. He's always going somewhere, but I never see him working. Bro, I did it right. I worked hard mm-hmm. my whole life so I could just be out when I'm old with my family. You know what I'm saying? Every time he's really lost every day. Sizzle every day. Every day being in harness. What we doing? You know what I'm saying? Or I'm going to go into my industrial home kitchen. I could just start my cooking show eventually. You know what I'm saying? As an old man. Let that, let that old boy cook. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are we talking about? Good thing, bro. Make it make sense. Make it make hey, sense. Man, Chris, I'm going to live while life is worth living. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not going to pause and wait for my life to get to popping uh, because I was financially frugal and responsible and now I'm retired and now I want to live life. No, I want to do this while the blood is flowing, while all my ligaments are still intact and while my hair is still black. So it's just like, nah, man, I'm not waiting. But Chris, I will see you on that side and uh, I'll spend a little money on you too. Yeah, Hopefully you pick up the check though. But you already know, man. My hair gonna be black forever. You know what I'm saying? You seen my grandmother? No, had, nobody knew how old she was. You first met my grandmother. You was like, huh? "This your mom?" I was like, "No, this is my mother." I was like, "Who the hell?" Your grandmother? Grand yeah, T. Like grand T. T. What? This your grandmother? Like, yeah, hey, man. You know what's going on? I got good ass jeans, man. Listen, man. Tough. Good ass jeans. So, but yeah, that's the podcast, man. Blow. Appreciate you, baby. Appreciate you too, man.